The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, you've tuned in to KFWB News Talk 980. And if you love to cook or love to eat, then I like to say we can definitely be friends. Here's to a full hour of delicious conversation and fabulous food. Good morning to you, Lana. Good morning. You are in the right place if food is your fetish, because we are eating and drinking and savoring the season. And we're planning to wow your guests this Thanksgiving with armed recipes for extraordinary dishes. We're celebrating Thanksgiving in style. We even have some sweet finish ideas. So share your love with delicious dishes and celebrate with food right here, right now with us this morning. You'll find great inspiration, we hope, at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. And if you love to eat, send a tweet. Or if you want to know how to cook it, you can Facebook it, of course, at Chef Jamie Gwen. Uh, you want to start off by talking turkey, Lana? Yes. I think we should kick it off because, you know, by the way, Thanksgiving is just a week and a half away, but it's Mm -hmm. not too late to plan an extraordinary feast. If you go to the website, you will find my Thanksgiving planner, which will walk you through every step from ordering your turkey to presenting it beautifully on the table. And it's not too late to order your turkey now to start planning to brine Mm -hmm. and to put out a brilliant buffet. Those step-by-step instructions are really important at this time. Yeah, it's a good guideline. It's almost like a calendar Mm -hmm. listing of events to keep you on track. what to do. Exactly. And it's never too early to buy your Mm non-perishables, never too early to stock your pantry with dry goods if you have some time today and you can do grocery shopping. It's a really wonderful way to get prepared and start organizing in advance. We're 10 days from Hanukkah and 11 days from Thanksgiving. Yes, once again, the holidays that will merge for the first time ever and maybe never again. We're calling it Thanksgivica. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's cute. Whether you're serving a turkey and a side dish of latkes or you're starting with your potato pancakes and putting out a big bird, uh, we are going to celebrate both yes, we in are. our families. And um, we like a twist on the traditional. And one of the things you and I were dishing about this week was that the traditional turkey is not the only solution to a family gathering this year. There are lots of different approaches and we've talked to lots of chefs and uh, my comrades across the country and we're dishing with all of that incredible talent to find out what they're putting on their table. And I thought it was interesting to see um, it's not just um, a big, beautiful turkey, right? No, it isn't. And I noticed that the supermarkets also are offering other things as well. Yeah, a variety of Cornish <clears throat> game hens. You mm-hmm. could put out, you were talking about a roast, a, a big, beautiful roast or mm-hmm. a rack of lamb, even if you're feeding uh, fewer people. Or a leg of lamb if Ooh. you're feeding more. Okay. Most definitely. I'm in. We love the traditional turkey and the ham, of course, but when it comes to juicy and really truly flavorful proteins, sometimes smaller is better. So if you're feeding a crowd, I always recommend two smaller turkeys rather than one large. They roast 
quicker, they stay juicier, they're easier to carve, they're easier to store. And you're using a hen. Yes, definitely a hen. Mm -hmm. And you could go turkey breast as well if you love the white meat, a good brine or a marinated, what, a marinated, what was that brine you were talking about? Have you ever done a buttermilk brine? I have never added buttermilk to my traditional saltwater brine, but it conjures up thoughts of milk braised chicken Mm -hmm. to me. There's this incredible recipe, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And you, chicken or a pork roast. You could use either. Mm-hmm. You but, created this uh, this milk braised chicken from mm-hmm. a concept that was done um, from a European years restaurant. Ago. Yeah, yes. years and years and years ago. And the milk creates, because of its natural acidity, this tenderness that's really incredibly rich. It's delicious. When you add buttermilk to your brine, it will produce the most flavorful, juicy, moist chicken. And you could do that with the turkey breast as well. That is the coolest idea. Mm -hmm. Okay, this afternoon, if I have time, I'm picking up a turkey breast and brining in buttermilk. So stay tuned. Watch Facebook. I will take step-by-step photos and tell you how my buttermilk brine turkey breast turns out. And then I'll share a recipe. And don't forget to add some hot sauce to that brine. Oh, definitely so. And I like all the aromatics. Like if you like the Asian approach, you could always take a little bit of ethnicity and incorporate it into your Thanksgiving. So a traditional brine might have sage, but an Asian-inspired brine might have kefir lime leaves or add a Mediterranean approach. And by the way, Mm -hmm. that flavor enhancement starts in the brine. So while you would traditionally put peppercorns, sage leaves, brown sugar, salt, maybe molasses, you can start incorporating new and different flavors. And that's really, when I talk to my chef friends across the country, whether they be um, L.A., San Francisco, uh, New Orleans, Boston, Chicago, New York, they're all talking about elevated flavors, sort of a twist on the traditional this year. So we're seeing a lot of the traditional turkey, but the flavors have been enhanced. And Which so, starts with the brine. It does. It starts with the brine and it runs all the or way the through rub. the meal. It could be a rub for mm-hmm. sure. Lots of Middle Eastern and Mediterranean flavors this year. Uh, like uh, sumac's beautiful compliment to chicken, maybe you finish your turkey, you know, mm. with a little bit of that Middle Eastern flavor. Or if you're thinking along the spicy route, like you mentioned, Lana, mm-hmm. your roasted sweet potatoes, the traditional family loved signature recipe, could get a boost with a spicy Spicy maple butter this year, where you use cayenne Mm. or you add in your favorite uh, hot sauce. Then, of course, the roasted Brussels sprouts that are traditional on the table. Maybe they get pancetta and lemon zest as the start to the saute this year. Or your mashed potatoes, the creamy, fluffy ones that everyone loves. Make a half a batch of the traditional for the kids and those that are a classic approach. And then add a bunch of cream-style horseradish to the other half and make horse radish mashed potatoes add dried mushrooms to your gravy or ginger to your chutney because cranberry and ginger everything is what i'm seeing and Mm. i love that flavor profile Mm. you know yes when it comes to sweets i am forecasting that you are going to see a lot of creme fraiche in 2014 we always talk about our top trends as we uh, plan for the coming year and so you will hear our top food trends forecast in the week to come but i've been talking about brown butter um, for more than a year now lana and that has come true what a good wish come true that was yes brown Uh, butter everything especially (laughs) brown butter applesauce that i'm making for the latkes (gasps) this year 
Ooh. Yes. Oh, that sounds so there good. We go. We're starting 2014 with that. Okay, I'm in. Just for the record. We're when about it, a month early. Yeah, that's okay. It's There are always reason to celebrate. Um, when it comes to latkes, by the way, speaking of Hanukkah latkes, the Jewish festival dedicated to oil, because the fried foods that we eat commemorate the miracle of the one-day supply of oil that burned for eight days after the destruction of the temple. The Think Like a Chef feature at chefjamie.com right now is how to make Hanukkah latkes. Potato pancakes, also called latkes, or or the donuts that we call sufganayot are the most traditional and symbolic fried foods that are eaten at Hanukkah. And the customary latke is made from a traditional russet potato, which is high in starch. So you need very little matzah meal, or if you choose to use flour to bind the mixture when you create the pancakes. But in the modern style, you love uh, a Dutch yellow potato for yes. buttery flavor, mm. right? Wonderful taste. I like a sweet potato for a very beautiful, I would say honeyed taste. And you can make a, a twist on the traditional and go from the classic to the modern. If you want to throw a latka party, we have lots of ideas on the website. Every year you always made the super traditional ones, mm -hmm. but or uh, sweet potato or sweet potato. True. I do love those. As we've gotten more gastronomic, I will say artichoke and feta latkes or curried potato mm. latkes with a little bit of yogurt raita. If you mm -hmm. wanted to substitute for sour cream, or parsnip and potato have expanded my repertoire. And I've posted recipes for a vegetable latka, a sweet potato latka, all the good stuff. You could make a twist on the toppings too. I love your brown butter applesauce. Mm -hmm. You could spike your sour cream Cajun style if you wanted to heat it up a little bit. And you know, I'm already thinking about leftovers. Yes, of course you so are. So all those mashed potatoes, talking about potatoes, right. could make a mashed potato cake. Oh, like on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, I love that. It's like eight days of latkes in different styles. <laughs> That's how Thanksgiving yeah. and Hanukkah are going to come together. I mm -hmm. have to say it is going to be so your year because it's going to be a leftover luscious fest oh, will it ever. of everything truly delicious. By the way, uh, speaking of mashed potatoes, we'll parlay that conversation into a parsnip and cauliflower puree, <gasps> which um, you say is a wonderful, healthy alternative mm -hmm. to mashed potatoes. I too no, agree. No butter or cream? No, but fabulous flavor. With mm -hmm. You put in um, a smashed garlic clove, right? And the parsnips and the cauliflower blended together. I like the roasted garlic idea you threw in mm -hmm. too. And by the way, you can cook with Lana. Her recipe is posted at chefjamie.com. It's a parsnip and cauliflower puree perfect for the holidays. I also posted a holiday champagne pomegranate cocktail, one that I love where you rim the glasses mm. with sugar. And by the way, the Melissa's sweet limes that you heard about at the start of this mm -hmm. show make the perfect citrus to rim cocktail glasses. <gasps> oh, that's fabulous. It's not too tart, but it still offers a, a little... Uh, you know, sort of tinge of acidity, but you get the sweetness. So that's what those Melissa's Sweet Limes first and foremost in my kitchen will be for, and that is cocktails. Oh, very nice. Yes. I, I could also see them in the cranberry sauce. Oh, for sure. Most definitely. And I'm always thinking of ways to use the cranberry sauce in different ways. Mm -hmm. And how about putting it into a drink? Oh, I think Shake that it up, we baby. should work on that this week and okay. next Sunday. We shall trump the maple bacon cocktail with a cranberry, cranberry. sauce cocktail of some sort. Yes, cranberry and cognac mm. mixed I can, together. <gasps> Ooh, 
I love the way you think. I hear a cocktail shaker in my head. Is that wrong? <laughs> Sometimes I close my eyes. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a pumpkin pecan coffee cake, by the way, posted on the website as well that has really classic holiday flavors that I love. And I don't think it gets any better than a coffee cake sitting on the counter through the holidays when everyone is over for um, the next morning's brunch or breakfast. And again, you'll find it all at chefjamie.com. Speaking of Thanksgiving, please stay tuned to Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen because we have partnered with Seasons 52, the Fresh Grill, the restaurant that we love, where um, in fact, all of their dishes are under 475 calories. They're good friends of ours and Chef Tim Cast um, and their incredible talent, I think is just a, an absolute amazing pool of extraordinary ideas mm-hmm. and they're serving Thanksgiving dinner and they wanted us to share it with you. So we are giving away three Thanksgiving dinners for six in their restaurants here in Southern California. And you can learn more and you can win on on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. And speaking of social media, please check out Twitter as well because Hell of a Good Dips wants you to prepare for those drop-in guests and the last-minute holiday gatherings that you're invited to. So they're throwing a Twitter party this Tuesday, November 19th, and I too was invited, you are as well. There will be several of us, uh, they're calling us food gurus, and I'm flattered, thank you. And we're gonna dish on everything you need for, you know, cooking and entertaining expertise. Hell of a good, H-E-L-U-V-A-G-O-O-D is their Twitter hashtag, at hell of a good. And I look forward to tweeting with you. Definitely should be fun. It's gonna be on my sandwiches after Thanksgiving. Bacon horseradish dip, Mm -hmm. baby. Speaking of talent, by the way, wait till you hear the lineup of this show. You will not want to touch your dial because we sat down for a very exclusive interview with the gentleman at the helm of Rayo's, the New York landmark restaurant that, by the way, has made it its way to Hollywood. Oh, wait till you go to Rayo's. Frank Pellegrino joins us in just a bit. Plus, he's the New York Times columnist and previous editor who loves and adores food. He is Sam Sifton, and he's dishing on Thanksgiving and... He's the Bizarre Foods host you can't help but adore. Andrew Zimmern is stopping by before the end of the show. Don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. This next conversation guarantees you a moment of culinary nirvana. And this gentleman deserves quite an introduction, in fact. A table at Rayo's New York? Forget about it. A table in Hollywood, though. Maybe. Rayo's, the 100-plus-year-old Italian restaurant at 114th Street and Pleasant Avenue, is a true New York City institution, and you'd be lucky to ever get a reservation. If you live in Los Angeles, though, you might be a bit luckier. The new Rayo's Hollywood is now open, and I have Frankie to thank for the table. What a treat, what an experience, and oh, what a night. A freestanding Rayo's now lives in Hollywood with the feel and the vibe of New York and food from culinary heaven. Can you say lemon chicken, signature meatballs, roasted peppers, and oh, the veal chop. 
Frankie Pellegrino Jr. is the co-owner of Rayo's. He is the nephew of the late Vincent Rayo. He is at the helm of the empire, and he's all about the exquisitely simple Italian cooking, and he believes in impeccable service, and we are honored to have him join us live. His recent cookbook release called Rayo's on the Grill, Perfectly Simple Italian Recipes from My Family to Yours, is quite an accomplishment and being beautifully received. And as long as you have a veal chop in your hands frankie and you're on our on your way to our studio you can stay a while <laughs> fair enough i have it all in tow there i have more go. than a veal chop <laughs> well it's very nice to speak with you again it's a pleasure to be with you oh thank, thank you. you and we're very glad to have you here i was raised um by um a new yorker born and bred and i will say lana that there are distinct memories of so many years of you saying rayo's this and rayo's that <laughs> and rayo's this so when Rayo's was coming to Hollywood, that was a big deal, a big conversation in this household. That's amazing. And I'm <laughs> honored that we were. Yeah, well. That's a big uh, discussion point. I think it's so interesting. You have such a, a beautiful reputation in the business. Um, your dad as well, although they do call him Frankie No, right? That is correct. He says no to me all the time. <laughs> he said no to a lot of people. <laughs> yes, he has. I can't even get to eat at Rayo's in New York. I only get to eat there when I'm working there. I can't get a table. <laughs> so he's known Frank Sr. for saying no to all the people who have um, long fought for a reservation at Rayo's New York. But now you're being called Frankie Yes because at your Caesars Palace location, um, there was always room um, for another friend to sit down and eat. And now at Rayo's Hollywood, with open arms, you are welcoming the Los Angeles community, right? That is correct. If you would talk about the creation of the Hollywood Rayo's, uh, because it's really a unique location and one that I think represents so much of who and what you are and what you've built. I would love to, but I would love to touch on the Frankie No, which my dad has been called, and that is truly his name. And the reason for it actually ties into all of our philosophies and what we hope we have brought to Hollywood. The reason why Frank Sr. is notoriously known for saying no was that he truly wants our guests to have the best experience possible, and he does not want to curtail it or cut it short in any way. So when you have a table at Rayo's in New York. The motivating factor behind the no to someone else is that these folks are here, they plan to be here, and they're going to have the greatest night that they possibly can have on a multitude of levels, not just a culinary level, but on a social interactive level, which is really what Frank Sr. is all about and what Rayo's is all about. And why we were drawn to this location on Stewart Street, 1006 Stewart Street in Hollywood. Um, there is a patina and a richness that was just naturally there in this little enclave that was once originally the Hollywood Canteen. And if you look at the history of the canteen, um, it was a great part of the community. And that kind of parallels what Rayo's is to East Harlem in New York. Um, we want to be part of the community and embrace the community. Um, and it's 
particular location really spoke to us. I'm sure you'd be pleased to know then that it was all the buzz when I was at Reyes Hollywood for the first time just a few weeks ago, um, that it felt historical almost. Like it felt like Reyes was meant to be there. When you drove up, you could tell that it was just the perfect place. And when you walk in, even though you're in Hollywood, I felt that complete New York vibe. I mean, everything from the server who pulled up a chair and sat down to talk about the menu to the way we were treated, the the extraordinary quality of the food, the traditions that you could feel within the restaurant. The Hollywood Reporter says that it is a meatball's throw from Paramount Studios. <laughs> That's good, Frankie. I like a go. meatball's throw. <laughs> I do, too, very much. How is the L.A. crowd different than your New York crowd? What have you found from um, those in Hollywood that are that are dying to experience Rayos? I have to tell you, it's truly remarkable. In, my, in the eight and a half weeks since we've been open to the public, the similarity between our New York guests and the L.A. guests are just incredible. Um, it, it's really a place where people walk through the door and forget about everything else that's going on, which we find in New York. And what happens is the camaraderie develops, and there's a lot of interaction between, you know, different tables and people, and there's a vibrancy that sprouts about that's pretty uh, remarkable. And I have to say, myself being in the restaurant in Hollywood, I mean, I, I get lost. I don't know where I am sometimes. Sometimes I'm, I have to be reminded that I'm in Hollywood and not in New York. That's how I felt, I have to say. And what I loved is that all of the dishes I had fantasized about eating, the famous lemon chicken, meatballs, your roasted peppers and the veal chop, all of them come to the table as extraordinarily delicious as you imagine them to be. And there's something to be said for the fact that you've stuck to your guns and served the same dishes with the same history for that many years. In the book, Lana, I know you're going to love making Frankie's lobster fra diavolo oh, off the yes. grill, if that isn't so traditional Italian. And also the grilled apples with caramel sauce. I loved that too. That, that's fabulous. That looks killer. And what's amazing is it's easy to execute all the recipes and all of the books that we have. There are no secrets. Our chefs use these books every single day. Oh, that's wonderful. And we train all of our cooking teams with the books. It's real simple, straightforward, and the results you'll get will be terrific. Almost any recipe you do, if not every recipe that uh, you pull from the book. Yeah. Well, no, the, they look so easily easy to execute. Th- they that really they do. are not complicated recipes at all. No, and how could you not love Rayo's Secrets? Mm. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Rayo's on the Grill is the cookbook written by Frank Pellegrino Jr. He is sharing perfectly simple Italian recipes from his family to yours. 115 years of an extraordinary legacy that continues. It is the notoriously tough-to-get-into dining spot in Manhattan that has 
now come to Los Angeles. If you live locally, get in the car. If you're somewhere uh, from an airport location, get on a plane. Because I have to tell you, it is the best reservation I've had in a long time. Rayo's Hollywood is now open. And you can go to rayoshollywood.com and book your table. Monday to Friday, Frankie, no weekends. That's Amazing. But it's pretty remarkable. And we're trying to hold true to the tradition that we've carried on in New York for so many decades. Uh, um, but one of the things we're actually contemplating, because one of the interesting things about uh, L.A. is the traffic. Yes. And not growing up in L.A., I've come to learn, wow, it's worse <laughs> than New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For the holiday season, we may actually consider doing some private events on Saturdays for Christmas parties and things like that. We've mm-hmm. been getting a number of requests, and fortunately, we're pretty much committed throughout the remainder of the year for our standing reservations Monday through Friday. So people are asking us, and we're kind of going, maybe. maybe. <laughs> but, and, and for just the holiday season, so we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. But um. no. In, in truth, everything needs a rest. <laughs> yes, isn't that everyone true? Does. I love your restaurant mentality. This is a family that has created a legacy, and it is Rayo's. And at the helm, Frank Pellegrino Jr. Please do make your way to Rayo's Hollywood. How how could you possibly miss it? And Rayo's on the Grill, his cookbook available now, and one that uh, certainly should be shared in every great cook's kitchen. We can't wait to see you at Rayo's Hollywood soon, and we wish you and your family, Frankie, a wonderful holiday season. I wish you a happy and uh, thank you. you and your family a happy holiday season. I can't wait to host you all again at the oh, restaurant. Thank you. So, thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Frankie. We appreciate a it. A real honor and a pleasure. No, it's my honor. Thank you. We do have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show. You heard it here. He is Frankie Pellegrino Jr. and he is Rayo's. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't touch your dial. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. We do have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show, and you can feed your insatiable appetite by tuning in right here, right now. If you have a taste for life, then this gentleman's culinary style is for you. Sam Sifton is once again saving Thanksgiving. He's Thanksgiving cookbook, the novella size book that I will say has quote, help saved America from dry turkey and nasty stuffing is taking over once again as the holiday quickly approaches. He is the former New York Times national editor and in fact, with a new project, is getting bigger and and deeper and richer into the food world than ever before. We appreciate his advice since he knows a thing or two about Thanksgiving and the book itself in its, what, 17,000th printing (laughs) by now, I'm sure. It is called Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well, and he joins us live. We're so glad to have you back, Sam. Another happy holiday season to you. And a happy holiday season to you as well. It's great to be Thank with you. you. Well, we're, we're very delighted, and we always love to catch up, and you always have something uh, new and incredible on the front burner. And we'd love to know, as the senior editor at the New York Times now, what it is you are working on. 
we're working on the future of journalism itself. And <laughs> what, um, what I'm uh, doing right now is helping to build and launch what we're calling a, a, a cooking product or a cooking vertical. Those are really complicated words, I find, for, for most Americans. Like, my mom has no idea what I'm doing, so I'm trying to <laughs> figure out how to explain to her and to, and to your listeners what it is. And what it is really is, you, you may remember the old New York Times cookbook, which mm-hmm. was a great bestseller for us years and years ago when the Times was still just a, a regional or metropolitan newspaper in, in New York. This is a digital living version of that cookbook. We're reanimating our archives going back over 30 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of recipes from some of the best cooks and chefs in the world, and using uh, our already crack dining staff, names that many people know, Mark Bittman, Melissa Clark, Julia Moskin, maybe even a couple know my name, um, to, to help <laughs> build that up. Them and teach people to be better cooks. I think we're in a pretty good position to help people out. I hope so. I I, I know so. For sure. (laughs) I can't can't imagine seeing the recipes translated to anything other than the richness of their legacy, the historical legacy. What is the biggest change, do you think, that you will make in bringing these recipes current but keeping their historical value? These aren't like recipes for sea duck and hominy from the 17th <laughs> century, right? These are these are recipes from from you know Craig Claiborne or, or Pierre Frenet oh, in the right. at the very kind of mm-hmm. far end of the spectrum. But there are also recipes from quite recently that have just not been arrayed in a way where our subscribers could get a hold of them. But the biggest change that has happened has been. Uh, the widespread use of photography as a corollary to recipe writing. If you look at old cookbooks, there are hardly any pictures in them at all. You know, when the, the, there are words that come out of these recipes, chiffonade, uh, saute, uh, truss. What do these verbs really mean? And we need to, to come up with very simple, elegant, beautiful ways of showing our subscribers, you know, what those things are so that they become better cooks, so they have a better experience with the recipe, and so that they do good in the presence of their loved ones and and Hmm. enjoy their meals. I see more masterful cooks in our future. I will say that you um, have a place in our homes and our kitchens, most especially at Thanksgiving, although we love to read your Sunday Times Magazine column, of course, that translates restaurant dishes. But every year, going back to How to Cook It Well, your book, I find new inspiration for Thanksgiving. And it's always interesting to me that I am reminded of what I think are some of the um, most worthy and important remembrances of Thanksgiving that you have taught us, Sam, that are most important pre-holiday. Mm-hmm. Now, first and foremost, I've always loved your rather strong opinion about appetizers when it comes to the big <laughs> feast, and I wonder if you will once again explain, please. I will explain this every year until the end of time, if you ask me, because I believe it so passionately. There is no place, let me be clear about this, there is no, no place, place for appetizers in the Thanksgiving feast. Why is that, you ask me? I'll tell you why. Because if I have spent an entire day preparing a giant feast 
of turkey and many sides and gravy and cranberry sauce, this groaning board of food for your delectation for the Thanksgiving feast. I do not want to have you say, oh, no, thanks. I ate a half a pound of nuts in the living room (laughs) in the half hour before dinner, and now I'm not hungry. Mm. There just isn't a place for it. There's no reason. An appetizer is, and I'm ranting now, an appetizer is a function of the restaurant culture that says this is a chance for us to sell more food to you. Here's a small plate that will prompt your appetite. Well, you know what else prompts appetites? Great-smelling turkeys in the kitchen. Okay, so the latkes, Lana, that we're planning? Because it is Thanksgivinga. Oh, yes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And do you put them as an appetizer this year or a side dish? This is a giant issue. A giant. For for many, many (laughs) families. A Hanukkah challenge. Uh Yeah, I I don't think this has happened in decades. And and nor will ever happen again. Yeah, not a lot of living cooks around or boobies to ask, what do you do? (laughs) But my view is... Yes. Latkes become a side dish. A side dish. Okay. Right. Very well. You heard it here from Sam Sifton. I have spoken. Yes, he has spoken. <laughs> but Sam, what I start with is as serious is your serious turkey stock. And then I love the final turkey stock that you do. Yeah, stock, you say, is fundamental to the uh, planning, the beginning, and the end of the feast, right? That is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And you can start quite seriously, as I, as I do, because I'm a Thanksgiving nerd by buying a couple of, you know, legs in advance of the holiday and roasting them off and using those to make a quite rich turkey stock. Mm-hmm. But you can just do it with the neck that's in the bird that you've gotten if that's um, all you have, and you can kind of supplement it with with some chicken stock as as well. But having this kind of simmering vessel of of turkey stock near you during all aspects of the Thanksgiving preparation is, to my mind, crucial. I wonder, too, Sam, in the book, I know I've read year after year all of the different turkey recipes, and you include a roasted, a grilled, a deep-fried version. Um, but what is this year, 2013, the Sam Sifton technique of choice? Well, it's just us talking, so I'll be <laughs> honest with you. The fact of the matter is, as my wife points out to me roughly once every couple of months, the oil from last year's frying is still out in the yard. Uh-huh. I have not taken it to the dump yet. So I'm not going to reuse it, I can assure you. But it reminds me that the process of frying turkey, and I love frying turkey, but the mm. process of frying turkey involves a lot of equipment and then a bunch of oil at the end. So I'm thinking, man, I can't fry a bird if I haven't disposed of last year's cooking oil. <laughs> so I think I'm going to just roast this year. Uh, I'll probably do the one that I've done most consistently for almost a quarter century now, basting it with a lot of butter and maybe a little soy and, and rosemary. And mm. it, it mm. just... Uh, it makes me feel good doing that. Lots I recognize... of good umami. Yes, yeah, that umami bang. How could you not love a book, by the way, that before page 17 ensures that all great cooks on Thanksgiving start their holiday with at least two pounds, as you say. <laughs> and that is, it ought to be unsalted butter, as Sam Sifton says. 
and you are going to need a lot of butter, you say. Yeah. And and that's true. I mean, everything is better with butter, but this holiday for sure, that's the, the crispy, beautiful topping on the stuffing in the casserole dish. That's the flavor imparted from the big roast bird. And then there is, of course, the pie dough. And one of the things I loved about reading through the book once again, Sam, was not only the apple pie and the inspiration for pecan pie as well, but the fact that your kids make apple pizza. Yes, it's not really a pizza. It's like a galat or something, but it's a recipe that they fished out of that giant gourmet magazine that came out when they were younger with a friend of the family's and have made consistently with her ever since. They dubbed it a pizza early on because, of course, it looks like one. And they and our friend Linnell have kind of tweaked the recipe over the years to make it, in my mind, ever more uh, delicious. We look forward to trying it, and we would love to be able to share it. May we excerpt it from your book and post Absolutely it on the website? Absolutely, you may. Thank you. We would love to. You will find a featured recipe from Sam Sifton and his book called Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well at ChefJamie.com. It will give you a direct link to the Amazon page where you can bring this novella into your kitchen. And trust me, it will be an extraordinarily valuable source of culinary knowledge for many years to come. It is the charm and the prose of Sam Sifton that I think we all know and love. And Lana, I always love when Sam comes. You know that. Sam, always delightful to have you. Uh, We're giving thanks for you this year. Oh, and I give thanks to both of you (laughs) as well. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Certainly writing about food in the finest form. He is Sam Sifton, and the book is called Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well. Planning for the most fabulous feasts. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Please don't go away. Seasons eatings to you. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. I like to say we have the best culinary thinkers on this show, and I just love this guy. Andrew Zimmern is the James Beard award-winning TV personality, chef, food writer, and teacher who is no doubt widely regarded by food lovers and television watchers nationwide, but also by myself and Lana and my comrades in the industry. He really has an extraordinary personality and quite an extensive palette, and as the creator, host, and executive producer of Travel Channel's hit series, Bizarre Foods, Bizarre World, and Bizarre Foods America. He travels the globe, and he brings us the coolest and sometimes the grossest food treats. But truth is, better Andrew to eat them and let you know how they taste. He's joining us just before Thanksgiving to share with us some of the most bizarre Thanksgiving foods ever, and we are delighted to have him back in gracing this show once again. Andrew, it's been too long. Hello, how are you? Indeed. Hello, ladies. (laughs) We're very glad to have you back. We're days away from Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a traditional turkey on your table, but we'd love to know where you've been around the globe that might have a different centerpiece on their feast. Yes, I do have a Thanksgiving bird that I have to go pick up two days from now. Right. Um, (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. Um, We do everything very traditional. I live here in Minnesota. I'm in the heartland. If I don't have turkey and my grandmother's stuffing and pan gravy and pies and my wife's cranberry sauce and the potato boats, then it's not Thanksgiving. That being said, 
for this uniquely American holiday, some of us get a little bit menu weariness. And so I always include a secondary dish inspired from some other place in the United States. We'll do elk and venison in our house. And yes, I do enjoy some of the oddball cuts. We have done braised elk tongue with spetzel or gnocchi at our house. We roast wild duckling. I do a thing from New England that we still serve every, you know, it's cold here in Minnesota. So when guests come in the door, they've got big shoes and overcoats and, you know, we hang them up in the hall closet and I set out a crock with a candle underneath it or people at home can use a crock pot or a small little burner and homemade oyster chowder, Ooh. you know, cod milk optional. What is cod milk? Cod milk is the sperm sac from the cod. It's a very, very large organ. It can be poached and then sliced. It has the texture of oysters, but is much more creamy and mild. And it's wonderful in chowders and soups. I'm sure it is. Thanks for the optional approach there, Andrew. You're welcome. Yeah, we appreciate that. There's lots of tongue everywhere, too. I love the oyster idea. Like, I oh, love, I love tongue. I know tongue you do. delicious. But if you have watched Andrew at a street cart or a jungle market somewhere, you know, around the world, you see tongue of every different variety. But I've always had a like pot roast. I mean, that's the fantastic. See, it, it's interesting. The, it's interesting that Lana has that instant sort of, oh, I love tongue. Because for people of, of a certain generation, they remember when that was a regular part of our food lives. Exactly. Now it's sequestered away into like gastropubs, fine dining, or ethnic eats. Yes. And it's not in the middle anymore. No, and true. these days, with the newfound respect for nose-to-tail dining, it's returning to the middle. What I'm serving this year is I'm doing chicken fried squirrel with pan gravy as well is going to be the, the second dish that we serve at our house. For folks that are looking for conventional recipes, like just a nice apple cider brine turkey, the oyster chowder, mm-hmm. or something kind of risky like the chicken fried squirrel with pan gravy, all mm. the recipes are on my website at andrewzimmern.com. Mm. Yeah, which, by the way, is very cool. If you've not been to andrewzimmern.com lately, there is a whole slew of gastronomic intelligence to gain. No, I really do it. It's a great website. Thank you very much. We're really proud of it. It's a fabulous website. What you've done, too, is taken all of these incredible travels, and you debuted a food truck last Uh year. And with just a short amount of time we have with you, I love that you're sharing the food you've discovered on the road. Where is the food truck now, and when is it coming to a city near us? We're in Minneapolis. We have a brick-and-mortar location in Target Field, and we have our truck, which gets shuttered from November through March. But, yeah, we're expanding into airports and stadiums all around the country mm-hmm. with this concept. Very and cool. I think within about 14, 16 months, we'll be in Southern California. Oh, oh how marvelous. We can't wait to have you yeah. in our neck of the woods, and we'll continue to support and promote the cities that you travel to. Andrew, we'd love to know a little more about your fundraising campaign. Thank you very much. I'm glad you asked. Here's the deal. It used to be that if you wanted to have some exclusive celebrity experience, you had to buy a $1,000 ticket and spend twenty grand at some hoity-toity uh, event gala to have access to these kinds of things. I'm on the board of Services for the Underserved in New York, and at this time of year, people think about giving back, and Services for the Underserved is an amazing cause. Uh, we support tailored services to veterans and people who face challenges like mental illness, intellectual and developmental disabilities, and HIV AIDS. We partnered with Prizeo.com, P-R-I-Z-E-O. All the information is on my website at andrewzimmern.com. 
Prizeo is a technology platform that raffles off once-in-a-lifetime prizes with celebrities for charity. All you have to do is go to prizeo.com and click on the Andrew page or link to it from my website, and you can have the once-in-a-lifetime experience that you've always wanted. What we're doing is we're flying in people to New York City to sit at my table for the dinner for a better New York. And the people get to hang out with these amazing chefs, hang out with me for the evening. And the great thing about Prizio is that anyone can enter with a micro donation of just $3. So I I would love it if your listeners went on to Prizio, P-R-I-Z-E-O.com, and made a donation and entered to win. It's a great way to help those in need and it's a really good chance that you could be flying to New York to have dinner with me in March. Which I will mention on a very personal note is quite an extraordinary experience because I'll never forget riding a Zamboni with you in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> Ever, for that matter. I love that you're paying it forward and giving back. And we love that you experience food and share the culture from around the world. I really think um, you are no doubt much deservedly so the James Beard Award winner for Best television personality two times running and you're very much adored here and we hope you'll come back soon andrew zimmern and his whereabouts plus az canteen plus his most bizarre thanksgiving recipes all posted at andrewzimmern.com always a pleasure andrew a very happy holiday to you and yours love you guys big love you too thank Thank you so much we'll talk to you soon We hope that you loved sitting down and playing in our culinary playground this Sunday morning. And we hope you'll continue to tune in as the Sundays progress and we build up to the biggest feasts of the year. There's fabulous food inspiration at ChefJamie.com where we're always serving up seconds. And we always like to finish this show with what we call our last bite. It's our last tidbit, our last ounce of gastronomic intelligence for you. And I wondered what you thought of about when a pint of ice cream is more than just a pint of indulgence. Lana and I do love our shortcuts, and you taught me, Lana, a long time ago to make what we call Lazy Cook's Cremon Glaze. Mm -hmm. That was a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, vanilla bean preferably. Sitting on the counter. Right. (laughs) Melted completely, which, by the way, when whisked together, creates an incredible, simple shortcut, one ingredient Cremon Glaze. You can also spoon it into the bottom of a martini glass and top it with fresh fresh berries and you have a simple sauce and beautiful fruit Uh, or you could always use it as an ingredient in a cake in fact the cake mix doctor suggests that you replace it for the liquid in a boxed cake mix that sounds rich and fabulous not not the oil no just the the liquid itself right but how about making ice cream bread pudding this holiday season a pound of bread cubes one and a half pints of melted ice cream four eggs and a cup of sugar it is a shortcut to custard that makes the ultimate bread pudding it's an ice cream bread pudding recipe you won't want to miss and i'll post it on facebook right now at chef jamie gwen and be sure to turn on your radio next sunday when you'll hear the best of chef john besh Chef Scott Conant and Margot True of Sunset Magazine as we prepare you for Thanksgivinga, Thanksgiving and Hanukkah coming together with more delicious inspiration here in your radio every Sunday. We thank you for listening and we hope that you do have a delicious week. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana signing off. We'll see you at ChefJamie.com. But until then, I hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.